This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is Baldy's Breakdowns, the podcast, a radio.com sports original. And welcome to episode four of Baldy's Breakdowns. Jason Martinez, Brian Baldinger. You see him on the NFL Network. He's the best. Baldy, how you doing, man? You know, um, I'm in lockdown here, Jason. I mean, they kicked me out of NFL films. They shut down the building on Sunday. So uh, I'm like everybody else, man, working out of my house here, but uh, getting through it, finding um, finding more things to keep me busy than I ever thought possible. But, um, you know, I'm uh, I'm optimistic here that we're going to all do this uh, as some kind of global unit here, man. I feel good about it. Yeah, you're right about that. And Baldy, uh, when you pack up your stuff, when you get kicked out of NFL films, and they have to kick you out, I can only imagine what it's like. like Baldy, you have to leave. But do you take like a five terabyte uh, hard drive of a film and stuff for you to watch at home? You know what, Jason? I have uh, I have every college game played uh, over the last two years in my uh, hard drive downstairs, and, and every NFL game. And then I also have it on two different computers. So it's literally, I can be as mobile as I need to be. I've got everything from an 80-inch screen TV to a, you know, to a laptop screen. I mean, I can watch it on just about anywhere, any place right now. Oh, that's tremendous. Yeah. Well, that's, that's going to come up later in this episode, by the way, because I'm going to get your recommendation and uh, five questions for Baldy on what people should be watching when it comes to rewatching the NFL. So a little tip there for you, but Baldy, let's get right into the business. Peter King is going to join us on this episode. And I'm really excited to talk to Peter because he'll, he'll provide great, uh, a great amount of like historical perspective on mm-hmm. something that we've never kind of gone through. Plus uh, he's written some great columns over the past week or so about this crazy True. NFL free agency. And it continues Baldy because Cam Newton has now been released by the Panthers. You said this in our episode, our last episode, episode three, that yep. they were going to have to, to trade him was going to be near impossible because everybody knew you could just, they were going to release him. So the latest on Cam Newton is he's released. Now, where are they going to try and go with him? Where's he going to try and sign? What's the best place for Cam Newton to keep this NFL career going and, and make a real difference? Well, it looks like, uh, you know, Ron Rivera would be the natural, you know, uh, landing spot, but he passed on it. Uh, he was not interested. He, in fact, he took Kyle Allen, uh, who started, uh, you know, a bunch of games, 12 games for him this year. Um, but I, but I, I still believe, I mean, the Chargers can deny any interest, but I believe that, um, you know, that Tyrod Taylor and Cam Newton could be a, a good unit out there uh, with the Chargers. Uh, Sunshine, new city uh, or new stadium, uh, you know, a team that needs to sell some seats. Needs a, a new face. I think he's pretty motivated by right now by what's going on. But even I mean, even though that they've released him, 
I mean, Cam Newton's not going to come to work for cheap. Uh, I saw with Marcus Mariota can make a great deal of money uh, in incentives out in Oakland if he would win the job or get a good deal of playing time. I'm sure he's looking not at just Marcus Mariota's deal, but this is a former league MVP. So, you know, not only do you have to try to find a landing spot, I thought before Chicago signed Nick Foles that that would be a great spot working with Matt Nagy and looking at some of the creativity that Matt Nagy has shown. Um, you know, he's got a bunch of college offense coordinators. Mark Helfrich was there. Bill Lazor is there right now. They all come from the college game. I, I thought that that would be a good spot, but Nick Foles is there. So the spot's kind of dried up in his game of musical quarterback chairs. But I, I you know, Cam Newton, I don't, I, right now, he's not going to come and say, okay, give me $5 million and, you know, let me work through the incentive program. I, I don't think he's going to sign for that. But yet, that might be the only thing out there for him. Yeah, if that's the case, Baldy, is there a chance that Cam Newton's played his last game in the NFL? Well, I don't believe that. I believe somebody, you know, will sign him. Uh, but, you know, before anybody signs him or even negotiates a contract with him, and I'm sure Peter King can really get into the details of this because he's written about this. Somebody wants to give him a thorough physical. Now, Tom Brady's deal was a little bit different. They had a mutual doctor between him and the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers in New York City where he had his physical done. But I don't know, you know how they're – I mean, somebody's going to have to put their hands on Cam Newton. And not just a physical, but I'm sure they want to see him work out as well. You know, can he throw the ball 70 yards the way he once did? Um, can he – what kind of movement does he have? I I think people – because the last time they saw him play was week two against Tampa Bay, and he has not played since then. So, I mean, that's a long time since early September last year. So there's a lot here before I think anybody would think about signing him at this spot. Yeah, and, and Baldy, he's taken a pounding over his career. We know the amount of hits that he's taken, big hits too, and he's a big guy. But like running backs in the NFL, when it goes, it goes really fast. Is, is Cam Newton, the way he's played the game, relied on his athleticism, his burst, his size, his speed, more susceptible to a big drop-off in his efficacy as an NFL quarterback as opposed to maybe guys that never really relied on, you know, pure athleticism, guys like Brady, who's going to be 43 when this year starts? Well, he has taken more. I mean, he's run the ball a lot. Uh, you know, he ran for 10 touchdowns a couple of years ago in his MVP year. And, you know, I, I thought it was a little foolhardy there, but he seemed to enjoy taking on middle linebackers at the goal line quite a bit, you know, and being flipped up in the air and all those kind of things that you can do when you're 26 and 27 years old. It's a little bit more difficult, you know, when you're now at the uh, ripe old age of 30, ready to turn 31. But, you know, I mean, if you look at his career numbers, I mean, he has, you know, run the ball uh you know, almost a thousand times now and counting the playoffs over a thousand times. So there has been some toll, but I, I you know, I, I keep going back to the middle of 2018 when the Bucks were, the, when the Panthers were six and two and he was playing great football and then the shoulder just kind of fell off. And then last year he had the Liz Frank. So, you know, I mean, if somebody gets Cam Newton, say circa November uh, 2018, I mean, you're getting a and, and he's healthy. You're getting a pretty good football player. Yeah, and, and you know the funny thing, Baldy, is if you look at this from a fan perspective, you know, I, I wonder if he ends up with the Chargers. You know what that fan base's feeling is 
on you know moving forward with a guy like Cam. You know, a lot of these fan bases are in that in that same kind of wait and see. Like we got this new quarterback, and we're hoping for the best, whether that's Philip Rivers or Tom Brady in Tampa or wherever that might be. Nick Foles in Chicago, if he's able to usurp uh, Trubisky from that job. And I wonder, you know, it's a big question mark on how these guys are going to perform in new uniforms, especially for Brady and, you know, a, a guy like Philip Rivers, who spent all their career yeah. with one team. Well, you know, I've always said this, Jason, it's a great point. I mean, this is not the designated hitter. You know, you, you just can't take uh, Big Poppy and take him out of the Red Sox, you know, lineup and just plug him into another lineup. And he's going to hit a bunch of dingers for you. And he's going to be a great hitter for you. I mean, that's that's not how free agency works. I mean, you know, Philip Rivers has now, after he signed, you know, now, you know, kind of come forward saying he was thinking about retiring. Well, I mean, you know, you, you don't know what any of these guys are really thinking, uh, you know, especially but if $25 million is at stake and you're going to move the whole family, you can get pretty excited pretty quickly. But when you're, you know, when you've released and you are full of doubt, you start thinking about those kind of things. So, you know, I mean, the big thing for Cam Newton is – not to get discouraged. I mean, if I was advising him, not to be discouraged. There's always, when this was a 12-team league in the 40s, in the 50s, there wasn't enough good quarterbacks. And I don't care how many quarterbacks change teams and how many quarterbacks get drafted. There's not going to be enough quarterbacks to really uh, lead their team to the postseason this year. There's going to be a spot for him. But the big thing for Cam is to keep working. And whatever video he can provide, I mean, if I was him right now and I was healthy, I'd be showing video of me doing things every day. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd be out there on, on some high school field or college field, uh, back at Auburn, wherever, uh, throwing the football to receivers. I'd, I'd let people, I I'd, would encourage people to watch videos of just what I can do and what I am doing. And that might kind of heat the market up a little bit. Yeah, Baldy, I've, I've had this belief that in professional sports, and I was not a professional athlete, you were, you can speak to this. My belief has always been, if you think about retirement, you yeah. are already retired. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If you're doing it for the money, uh, to play at the level that these players play at, if they're contemplating retirement, then the fire is not stoking as hot as it once did. And to me, th hearing that deters me from certain players in certain sports. Well, I, I look, I mean, that's that that's, it's more than a cliche. It's, it's the truth. Now, I mean, I look, I went out and defended the move by Indianapolis signing Phillip Rivers. But, you know, there was three key games last year, Detroit, Oakland, and a couple others, where and Kansas City, where the game was in the balance, with, and he had a chance to do what all great quarterbacks have to do. you got to take your team down and score. And he couldn't do it. In fact, uh, in all the cases, it ended up an interception. In all three of those games, he threw an interception at the end. And he really seemed greedy, and he seemed like he forced it. I mean, that's just the reality. That's, I mean, that's not uh, my opinion. That's just fact. I mean, if you watch those games, interception in the end zone against Detroit, interception in the end zone against Kansas City, when he didn't have to make the throw, it, it wasn't the last play. It wasn't Hail Mary. There were other downs to score on, and he forced it. Now, is that a, a byproduct of being, you know, 38 years old? Is that... I mean, to me, that wasn't about his offensive line. That wasn't about anything. That was Philip Rivers and his decision making. Now, can, can he can he take th those bad plays out of his system right now and turn those into good plays? You know, you know I mean, that's I'm t to, you know, if I'm 
if I'm Indianapolis right now, I'm, I, I'm hoping that we get the Phillip Rivers from the year before when they were 12 and four and he was dynamic down the stretches of a lot of games, especially in December, beating Kansas City, beating Pittsburgh, you know, beating Baltimore Ravens. I mean, you know, winning some key games and playing well. Yeah, and Baldy, you bring up a great point too. The point that you know, it's not like David Ortiz, a big poppy. It's just you can go anywhere and be a DH. A lot of it is the cohesion of a quarterback with his coaching staff and the players and the system. All of that has to come together to have tremendous success. Is the Chargers a good fit from that standpoint for Cam? And is Indianapolis a good fit for Philip Rivers from that standpoint? And also Tom Brady now down in Tampa. I know the people in Tampa are going crazy. TB12, man, they're they're totally invigorated down there. Do those systems fit the quarterback? And will they all mesh on and off the field in the meeting rooms and everything else? Nobody threw the ball down the field, as far down the field, as often or frequently as the Tampa Bay Bucks did. So you go back and you watch Tom Brady throw the ball down the field. I mean, he didn't do it that much. I mean, he did it when he had a couple times to Philip Dorsett and when Josh... Um, Josh Gordon was healthy, and in the lineup, he did it a, a few times. At the very beginning of the season, he did it against Pittsburgh a few times. But by and large, he didn't have those kind of players. Jacoby Myers wasn't that kind of guy. You know, uh, you know, you go through his lineup of guys. I mean, he just didn't have those type of players. But you know, when he did, when he did throw it fifty plus yards down the field, I mean, the guy is just about as classic a quarterback as you can get in every phase. I think he can do it. So, I, I mean. I, I think it's going to be fun for him. I, I, I joke with people. I, I've known Bruce Arians since he coached at Temple here. I, I've known his whole staff went through Temple. Todd Bowles, you know, played there. I mean, Kevin Ross played there. Keith Armstrong coached there. Clyde Christensen was there. This whole staff went through Temple. And you literally can walk up to Bruce Arians 15 minutes before kickoff, and you can get a good one-liner. He's going to crack a joke. He's going to have a smile on his face. I mean, I mean he's just he, he's a good – he's a fun guy to be around. And if you're winning, forget it. I mean, he's going to have you in stitches. Now, even when you're losing, I mean, he's going to, you know, he's not going to have any love for his kicker if he's missing field goals. I mean, nobody will abuse kickers more than Bruce. But I think it's going to be a a chance for Tom to to have some fun down there with a coach like that that's very aggressive, you know, with some really good football players around. He's got a good defense down there in Tampa, really good defensive front. So I think he's got a chance um, to be successful. I mean, look, I mean, uh, James Winston threw 30 interceptions. Seven of those were pick sixes. <laughs> if you just don't, he hasn't thrown 30 interceptions the last four years combined. So, you know, I mean, if you just take care of the football, you think that there's three more wins in the Tampa Bay Bucks than there were a year ago. Uh, Baldy, let's go from one Temple guy to another because Matt Rule, uh, you talk about Bruce Arians, um, a long time ago, Temple coach. Now, Matt Rule's got the helm with Carolina, and boy, is he putting his stamp on this team. Uh, he traded Kyle Allen, you alluded to that earlier, to the Redskins, signed Bridgewater. Now he signs his former Temple quarterback, P.J. Walker. Matt Rule is uh, making wholesale changes in Carolina, and he's going to move this thing forward in his uh, with his stamp on it. Um, they're not predicted to win a lot of games. Five and a half is the over-under for the Carolina Panthers. But do you like what Rule's doing down there and, and the way he's trying to shape this roster? And can he win with Teddy Bridgewater, who's you know been a little bit erratic as an NFL starter? Well, so, I mean, they signed Robbie Anderson as well. I mean, so there's another Temple grad. In fact, I joked with Robbie Anderson this year in the Jets locker room. I said, just be truthful, Robbie. When you left Temple... Did you ever have an NFL practice that was as tough and competitive as what you had with Matt Rule? And he just laughed at me. He goes, 
ain't nothing like a Matt Rule practice. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, those guys, and you, know, you go around the league, you know, go around the league, Deion Dawkins, go around the league of Temple guys that played for Matt Rule, and they'll tell you, like, it helped him get ready for the NFL. Um, you know, he's, look, it's, it's sometimes the devil you know, Jason, is better than the devil you don't know. Um, the one thing about Teddy Bridgewater, he hadn't really played football in four years until this year when he started five games. He was 5-0. and oh. Uh, here's what you get from Teddy Bridgewater. He's not a dual threat quarterback. He's not a runner. He can extend plays. He's athletic enough to extend plays. Um, he had a horrible knee injury in, in a practice, which is the only time he's ever been hurt. And it was so bad that literally Mike Zimmer canceled practice. I've never seen that before. But the bone broke through the skin, and it was as gruesome as thing as, you know, you talk to Adrian Peterson, guys are up there. It's the gruesomest thing that they've ever seen. But that's the only time he's ever been hurt. He's, he's, a, he's not a system quarterback, but he's not going to do more than he's capable of doing. He's not going to chuck it down the field, even when he was this year in New Orleans. I mean, you know, the ball went to Kamara out of the backfield. It went safely to Michael Thomas. Um, he built, you know, a repertoire with Michael Thomas. Not like Drew Brees had, but he got there by game four and game five. Uh, he built the trust with him. Um, he played within the system. You know, he's a smart guy. Uh, he's a very professional I think that he's got a very good relationship with the new offensive coordinator, and that's one of the reasons why he's there. And so I'm anxious to see Teddy Bridgewater really in his second place of being an NFL starter. He's been to the playoffs with North Turner in Minnesota, um, you know, as a young quarterback, and here he is. He stayed in New Orleans last year because he wanted to learn from Joe Brady, and he wanted to learn another year from Tom, uh, from, uh, from Drew Brees and and the whole group there, and I think he did that, and so I think he's I think he's ready to lead, and it's it's like he's just getting a new lease on life right now. He's got a guy that believes in him, he's got an owner that has more money than anybody else out there, and they they've got time, they've got time on their side. They don't have to be in the playoffs this season. They they have to show that they're competitive, and these moves are making pay off. Baldy, let me ask you about one more player who has not found a home yet, and that's Jadavian Clowney. Uh, Clowney is a guy that can be so explosive at times in games, um, but he sometimes, often he leaves you wanting more if you watch him close enough week in and week out. Where is, you know, he wants a lot of money. We all do. Uh, but where is a, a potential landing spot for Clowney? And has he kind of waited too long here to kind of maximize his, his position because now he's looking desperate and teams can feed on that desperation? Well, I think Seattle has never, you know, I mean, I think Seattle has always been in the picture. They, they, they were not good last year getting after the quarterback. You better get after, uh, you know, can't, you better get after what Arizona's putting on the field right now. You better get after San Francisco to be competitive. In the one game where they beat San Francisco, Jadavion Clowney was the best football player on the field uh, that night. Um, he is a highly disruptive player. The, the numbers don't necessarily say it. He has had an injury history, which people know about. Um, he did not go through training camp last year or an off season, and that hurt him. I think the best thing that Genevieve and Clowney can do is sign a one-year deal, whether it's with Seattle or someplace else, incentive heavy, and then play for another contract by putting up, you know, outrageous numbers and playing the best football that he's played. I think that's where he's at right now. And I think the, the sooner he realizes that, um, I think the, the, the better off he's going to be. And joining us right now on episode four of Baldy's Breakdowns, 
the venerable longtime NFL writer, and we're pleased to have him here on Baldy's Breakdowns. Peter King joins us. Peter, how are you? Are you staying healthy? Yes, I am, Jason. Thank you. And hello, Brian. How are you guys? We're, we're fine, Peter. We're, um, we're complying with everything that the WHO suggests and trying to do the best that we can under the circumstances we are. So there's always time, though, Peter, for some good football talk. And last week provided a bunch of uh, good content. And I know that uh, nobody is more dialed in and plugged in, Peter, than you are around the NFL. So I feel like it's a good time to talk some football with you. Good. Yeah, let's do it. I know that uh, I read your story, Peter, and uh, you had a chance to speak with Sean Payton. And he was, uh, he's to this point, the only uh, NFL uh, person, per se, uh, that is infected with the coronavirus. Um, how is he doing? And uh, how's his recovery going? I know that he's ordering some cheesesteaks. So that's always the good thing if you got your appetite. Yeah, I spoke to him on Sunday night from his home in New Orleans. And uh, he's had it now for, uh, he thought for about, he was about eight days into it. It first surfaced, you know, eight days previous. And, you know, he sounded like, uh, he, he sounded absolutely normal to me. And I think... A lot of these, a lot of these issues that happen is they they come in waves, you know, when you have the virus. Uh, and you know, he had two or three really bad days, but other than that, you know, where he was just laid out, he told me that, you know, he has a lot of time to be quarantined in his apartment in New Orleans, and so he he one day just started trying to clean up and started doing a lot of stuff around the house. And he said that lasted a little while. And then I just had to lay down and sleep. So yeah. uh, he's certainly not all the way back, but he, he thinks he's going to be okay in about, in about a week. What, what else are they, what else is like, I, I read the story, Peter, that you wrote it was really great because we all kind of want to find out uh, what, anybody that's infected with this what they're going through and i know it's different for different people like you said it comes in waves but he, you know he really didn't have many symptoms outside of the fact that he felt fatigued and he didn't really i mean while he he did have he was at the combine and he to go to the racetrack and watch a you know a parcells horse run and and all that i mean he, he really there wasn't really much else to go on beside the fact that he was unusually fatigued what else did he share with you, Pete, about just what else was a symptom that other people could kind of pick up on here? You know, I think he, he said he had chills and aches and he was feverish. And but he 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 never felt like so knocked out that, you know, that he couldn't move. Mm -hmm. And so I think generally I think he he. You know, because I think we've all read a lot about this. This affects different people in different ways. Right. He believes that he was very favorably affected by the fact that he was in great shape. He's, he's worked out five, six days a week since the season ended, uh, lost a few pounds, and really has paid attention to his physical self. And the people who know a lot about this coronavirus think that if you are in better shape and uh, are not, you know, don't have a lot of other health issues and he has none of those, if you're in good shape, then you've got a very good chance to, 
um, you know, to, uh, to beat this and for it not to attack you the way it does to many people. And I think that's why a lot of the older people, um, I think, are having a little bit of trouble right now because essentially what the older people are finding is that they uh, they really have a difficult time because they do have these underlying health issues. And I think Peyton was just really happy that he didn't have any of those. And I, I think those are the kind of things that you have to be alerted for. If you're not well, man, you really need to take this seriously. Whereas I think if you feel pretty good mm -hmm. and you're in good physical shape, you've got a pretty good chance to beat this. Hey, Peter, what are they talking about through your reporting at the NFL offices in regards to offseason, potential start of the season? Could it be delayed if this does linger on longer than we all hope, obviously, which has already been the case? But are those contingencies and every possible scenario being discussed now at the league office level? Yeah, as a matter of fact, they're doing it this week. I've been trying to reach people this week to discuss that with them. And I've been told these are the discussions that are going on right now. So hang on, we're going to have some decisions, but they just don't have them right now. I think, I think one of the things that is a particular problem right now um, is that so many people who have to get ready for the draft are just in real trouble right now because there are so many of these guys that they don't know. And, and it isn't just the guys who didn't go to the combine or the guys who might be coming off some surgery. I, I had a GM tell me last week, I thought it was really interesting and apropos. He goes, how would you feel if you were the Bengals right mm -hmm. now? And you really like Joe Burrow and very, very likely you're taking Joe Burrow with the first pick in the draft. But how would you like it if you never had Joe Burrow in your building, if you've never had anything but a 15 minute conversation with Joe Burrow uh, and you really have not had time to get to know him at all? I mean, would you would you feel comfortable about making him the face of your franchise after spending 15 minutes with him? And so that is a problem that a lot of these teams are going to have because now all they can do, quite honestly, all they can do is FaceTime with them for a limited amount of time before the draft. And so this is something that I think you're going to see more and more teams throughout the league. I think you're going to see them say, we want, we want to push the draft back. Yep. No doubt. You know, because what we want to do is we want to be able to have some real time with these people who are going to draft and, and guys, you know, the one other thing, Daniel Jeremiah told me this last week, he goes that because so many teams do not know the lesser guys out there, the guys who didn't go to the combine and all they have is college tape on them. They've never met them. They don't know them. They're, they, you know, Daniel Jeremiah said, I think what you're going to see is more of these teams trying to hit singles this year in the draft rather than trying to hit triples mm -hmm. because they're going to take the safe guy 
rather than take the guy who they think they might really like, but they've never met him before. It reminds me a long time ago when, when Wellington Mara, when I was covering the Giants in the 80s, he said, you know how we used to draft? He said, I used to have the Street and Smiths or whatever the, <laughs> you know, the football magazines were. Yeah. And I would just read those magazines and I would basically draft out of that. And he said, so, and that kind of reminds me of now, quite honestly. It's not to the same degree, but they, they just are not going to know these players very well at all. Uh, you know, I think unless they delay the draft. Well, you know, Peter, it's interesting because the draft is a month from this coming Thursday. Now, yeah. you know, they have come out and said that they're not going to change the date, but I'm just wondering, listening to what you said, and I have talked to other teams, some teams I know, Pete, they like to do their, um, their meetings, their, their 30 individual meetings they can have with players. They like to get them done early, so they – had already done quite a bit before they shut everything down. They might be a little bit in front. But that being said, how much time do you think the league would need in order to just change the date? Do you think that would be a big deal? Because it sounds like... Well, one of the, one of the problems, Brian, one of the big problems is I think they're going to find this going forward is that in changing the date, um, they don't know right now when the country is going to be open when they're going to be able to bring guys into their facility. Plus, I mean, even if the president opens the country for business, like in the next couple of weeks, there's still going to be people dying all over the country from this disease. Right. So just because the country is going to be open for business, it doesn't mean people are not going to still be packing hospitals around the country. So I don't, I, I don't know when teams would be able, quite honestly, sure. uh, to to travel guys around and to meet people. I don't know. Uh, this is this is something that I was talking to Mickey Loomis about this today, the GM of the Saints, mm -hmm. and the, and he's working out of his house now because the governor of Louisiana uh, closed all businesses in the state. So Mickey had been working at their facility along with their cap guy uh, and until Sean Payton was there until he got sick. But I, I mean, how in the world do they handle this? And I, that's, that's what is one of the real mysteries of this, that no one really knows how long this is going to last. So how would you know if mm -hmm. you bring in the safety from Cal who didn't go to the combine who you really like? Yeah. Yeah, P Peter, you, you termed it in your latest article as the seismic seven days, bigger than any free agent week that you've ever seen. And you've covered this game in a long time. If last year at the beginning of the uh, 2019 NFL season, we would have told you that in March, Tom Brady would be a Buccaneer, that Sean Payton would be in quarantine. We'd say, why? Uh, you know, that DeAndre Hopkins would be a Cardinal and we would mention the return for that trade. And Cam Newton and Jameis Winston are teamless. Have you ever... I mean, this has been just an absolutely incredible offseason, all things considered, with everything that's gone on in movement around the NFL, leading with that Tom Brady as a Buccaneer. Yeah, I haven't seen anything like it. And I think one of the reasons why it's gotten so much attention is because, I mean, if you think about it, there is nothing going on. There's I mean, usually what happens is free agency has to compete with March Madness. 
Mm-hmm. And now free agency isn't even competing with run-of-the-mill NBA games. So, and and certainly, I mean, this was the week that baseball was starting. So it's not competing with that. It's just, uh, I think part of the reason why it is so seismic is that we've never had free agency happening, uh, you know, with no sporting competition. You know, so I think I think that's part of it. But but also, I mean, Tom Brady is is probably the greatest quarterback of all time, probably the greatest player of all time. And unfortunately, if he goes anywhere, it almost wouldn't matter what was going on in the world. People would go crazy because of it. And with him going to Tampa, which nobody really expected anyway, uh, I think that just adds to the mayhem. Pete, you sat with Tom Brady after their loss to Tennessee this year in the locker room, I believe, after the game. And you kind of had 10 or 15 minutes with him. And you asked him if this was going to be, was this the end of playing for the Patriots? He he really didn't know at that time. Can you kind of yeah. take us through that 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 little uh, conversation you had with, with Tom yeah, at the end of that I, game? I, I, I got 10 minutes with him after the game. We sat in a room right outside their locker room. And, uh, you know, basically I just got the feeling that Tom, that day that Tom Brady did not know what his future held, but there was definitely a chance he wasn't going to resign in new England. And I think now as you put the tea leaves together, really, and you think about this, um, you know, as I wrote on Monday, I don't blame Belichick. I don't blame Brady. I don't, I don't blame anybody. You know, Bill Belichick is always going to run his team the same way. What do I do to put my team in the best position to win? And he did not want a ridiculous salary this year of Tom Brady, uh, you know, basically getting in the way of kind of rebooting this team. But I, I also think that Brady did want to see what life, Mm-hmm. outside Foxborough was going to be like and good for him you know mm-hmm. I, I've heard in a lot of places oh my god he shouldn't go anywhere he can't go anywhere this is you know he's a patriot and everything like that I mean and and honestly and I saw what Terry Bradshaw said this week about I mean it's ridiculous what's he trying to prove all that I mean you know people are different mm-hmm. just, you know they people want to do different things Tom Brady wants to see a different football world. That's really what most of this is about. Did he have some problems with his contract in the past? Yes. How many players who have ever played in the NFL have been happy with their contract every year they've ever played? I mean, zero out of 27,000. So I don't really, I don't, I don't really put a lot of stock in that, honestly. I think a lot of people put stock in that. I don't really. I think more importantly for Tom Brady, he wanted to see what life was outside Foxborough, and that's why this happened. Peter, I'm I'm really interested, though, in seeing what the Patriots do. They had the best quarterback of all time, and they were a competitive team every year and owned their division. But I think that we may have reached the zenith where maybe a guy like Belichick said, if I don't have to pay my quarterback 25 or 30 or, or north of that and a big chunk of my salary cap, maybe I can build a really good team 
with yeah. the resources I have. And let's see what Jared Stidham can do. Let's see what somebody else can do. And let's see how competitive we can be. We've seen what's happening to the Los Angeles Rams, to other teams that, that were forced to pay their star player. We've just seen what the Cowboys are doing right now with Dak Prescott and all the money they have tied up in eight players. Maybe this is going to be the pushback to just keep these escalating prices at the quarterback position. Yeah, I I really think that um, that right now, Bill Belichick, this this really isn't a statement by Bill Belichick. It, it's it's simply Bill Belichick saying, "What's the best thing for our team right now?" And I just don't think that. Basically, it would have had to have been about probably 32, 35 million on the cap to have Tom Brady as their quarterback this year. And I just think that he believes that that's not a very smart way to operate the franchise right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can't blame him. The other thing is, look, uh, I don't think the Patriots are finished um, with their quarterback maneuvering. Uh, and I, I don't know that for sure, but it stands to reason that this is this team is not going to just simply say Brian Hoyer, Jared Stidham, uh, and Cody Kessler, one of those three guys is starting opening day. Well, one of them very well could, but I still think they're going to bring in one more guy. You know, the, the I, I keep saying this. I don't have any idea if it's true or not, but what makes sense to me is to wait until after the draft and then to see what is going on with your team at that moment. And what I think is going to be going on is that you're going to have up to three very interesting quarterbacks, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, and Andy Dalton on the market free because I think the Bengals eventually will release Andy Dalton and you'll have those guys free. And then which is the guy who does two things? One, which is the guy who's willing to pay play for a year for say less than 10 million. And then the other, the other thing you ask yourself is which is the guy who uh, is going to say, I'll come in and compete. I mean, it's going to be a, t a tough thing for a guy like, let's say, Jameis Winston to just go into camp and find himself in competition with, say, Brian Hoyer or Jared Stidham. But I do not think Bill Belichick is going to say to any one of those guys, you're my starter. So we'll see what happens. But that's my gut feeling what will happen. Hey, Peter, uh, as much as all of the moves from Stefan Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins and all the other moves, including Brady and obviously Philip Rivers to the Colts, as, as seismic as they were, there was another seismic shift in the NFL offseason. First of all, labor piece to 2030, which we all love. Uh, but the league and the players ratifying the CBA to go to 17 games. Two questions based off that. Number one, when will the 17 games begin uh the, i think the first season they can take place is 2021 and does it make sense to have an nfl season with an odd number of games baldy and i have been trying to reconcile that and we've yet to be able to do so it doesn't make sense but the nfl uh is interested in the bottom line more than it is in uh you know sort of competitive equality um 
and that's just the way it's going to be. They want 18 games. Players wisely said no. The players maybe should have said no to 17. But anyway, it's going to be 17. The earliest it could be is 2021, and I will be stunned if it doesn't happen in 2021 because the NFL very simply did this to start ratcheting up the revenue as soon as possible. So I would look for uh, in every other year, say in 2021, AFC teams will have, they'll probably do a coin flip or something. But in 2021, the AFC teams, let's say, will have the ninth home game. And in 2022, the NFC teams will have the ninth home game. But that is why that is the most logical thing because the NFL doesn't want, I know a lot of people and, and, and I asked the question originally, a lot of people I think would like to see some neutral site games. Um, But I don't see the NFL doing that because even though they could make a lot of money in that way, you'd almost have to, for competitive reasons, uh, have uh, 16 neutral site games a year so that every team would be playing eight home, eight road uh, and uh, in one neutral site game. So I, I think it's much more likely that they'll have uh, the AFC team in one year uh, having nine and then the NFC teams the next year having nine. Yeah, no, that Peter, when you look at that too, neutral site games, they pose a huge problem. A lot of, you know, not at NFL stadiums. There could be a lot of things that come into play. We saw what happened in Mexico a couple of years ago, field not ready, not to mention the travel that could go with that. I mean, you could create some great games. You could create games at uh, the big house in Michigan and have Detroit play Minnesota. And obviously that would be a huge coup for the NFL, but Uh, there's a lot of loss of control there. Is that why they would kind of move away from that neutral site option? I mean, I think that it just creates a lot of issues that the NFL would have added to its plate. And look, I'm not saying it's impossible. You know, you just mentioned something, you know, if the Lions played a game in Ann Arbor, you know, with 106,000 people or the Eagles played in state college with 110,000 people. Those are fun, great, interesting events. But I think the biggest issue is then the NFL almost is going to have, you know, a dedicated staff of people who during the season, I mean, first of all, would the University of Michigan want the Detroit Lions to play a home game on their field in the middle of the college football season, would uh, Penn State want that to happen? I mean, those are questions I don't even know. And again, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I don't really think the NFL is thinking of that right now. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, Peter, I, I know I know a lot going on in our world today. We really appreciate you joining us, and thanks for taking the time. It's been a blast talking football with you, and hopefully, uh, we can get this COVID nineteen uh, epidemic in the rearview mirror. And uh, Baldy can get back to NFL Films where he belongs yeah. and everybody can get the game back on the field because it's going to be a huge, huge boon when sports comes back. It's going to be a lot of pent-up demand for it. And you know how important sports are to the uh, the people that are being affected right now. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, I think so, too. I agree. And thanks a lot for having me, guys. Take care of yourselves and stay safe. Do the same, Pete. Thanks, Peter. 
Ah, thanks to Peter King. That was great, Baldy, talking to him. And you knew knew he was going to lend some great perspective on a number of topics, including obviously how the league's going to deal, and they're meeting this week, dealing with the coronavirus epidemic. And and then also, uh, you know, how the NFL is going to navigate this 17-game schedule. You you and I both have an issue with it. Well, I, I do. And, you know, but the one thing about when you talk to Peter is, you know, he has a he's got great historical perspective uh, Two, he has tremendous contacts. There's nobody that won't talk to Peter King mm-hmm. and he knows how to report. And so, you know, not everything that you report in the NFL is fun and exciting. Sometimes it's it's painful and it's business. But I think he has just a great perspective on the whole thing. I, I enjoy listening to him, reading his column. Um because he, he really does have such a, a diverse interest in the game. And, you know, under the, the trying times that we're in right now, it, it's good to listen to somebody that has, has kind of talked to all different sides, including the one coach right now that looks like, you know, he's fighting through this COVID-19. Yeah, uh, yeah, no question. That's a great point, Baldy. Let's get to five questions for Baldy. It's how we wrap up every episode. So let's start with question number one, five questions for Baldy. Baldy, and here's where we go. Rivers is 38 years old. Drew Brees is 41. Tom Brady's 42. will be 43 in August prior to the NFL season. What is the reason a QB can now play and be viable at those ages? Is it the protection of the QB? Is it, uh, uh, are these just guys just special cases? Is this going to be the norm? I think it's a combination. You know, Phil Rivers, you know, he had one torn ACL in his career. Otherwise, he's lined up and played just about every game. Every game. Tom Brady had the one ACL in 2007. But otherwise, he's been durable and healthy. The rules certainly have helped. I mean, they changed the rule the day that Tom Brady got hurt but in Kansas City. Uh, you know, no hitting below the, below the knee. Uh, no taking the quarterback down with a forceful body blow. I mean, they, they have protected the quarterbacks. You now have the umpire and the referee behind the line of scrimmage uh, protecting the quarterback. So, you know, we've seen some of, you know, the greatest pass rushers, Aaron Donald, for example, have adjusted the way that they hit quarterbacks now so that they're not flagged. So those are a big part of it. And then, I mean, these, these guys just are kind of a, a rare breed. Um, and, and, you know, there isn't seven-step drops anymore. It is, you know, Tom Brady throwing to the backs and check downs. Uh, just get the ball out of their hands as quickly as possible before they get hit. So it's the evolution of the offense combined with the rules, combined with guys that are just, you know, built uh, to play this game, you know, specifically uh, Rivers and Brady and Breeze to a large extent as well. Uh, question number two, five questions for Baldy. Conversely to that point, we have players like Travis Fed- Frederick, Luke Keekley, Andrew Luck, Gronk, others retiring pre-30 years of age. Now, what surprises you more? Some playing into their 40s or some of these what were really good players, pro bowlers? Turning out, you know, giving up the game prior to turning 30. I remember one year when I was in Dallas, Jason, um, we had a Pro Bowl left tackle, Pat Donovan. And back then, you know, we, the season ended whenever it ended, whether it was the playoffs or uh, regular season, but usually it was for the playoffs with us. And then we were kind of free until the end of March. And then we would start our offseason program as a team. And we, I remember the one year in 1984, we came back and we assembled. And we're all back at the facility, and Pat Donovan isn't there. Now, he's nine years into the business, and he's been a Pro Bowl tackle probably four or five out of those nine years, and he wasn't there. And nobody knew really where he was. It wasn't cell phones or anything like that. He had retired. 
And, and, and like, nobody knew that Pat Donovan was retiring. I mean, he was our Pro Bowl left tackle. But it has always happened. He gets more attention now with some of the high, I mean, certainly a Luke Kinkley. But I do think that it, it is, it gets more attention now and more guys are walking away earlier because two things. One, we have a lot more information about the damage that concussions can do later on in your life. And B, these guys have made a lot of money. And they've been, as uh, Marshawn Lynch would say, they've been good with their chicken. And so it allows them to kind of walk away with a big nest egg and, you know, a, a, a great deal of health. And they're okay with it. You know, whatever they got to do next, they're going to try to figure it out. And so I, I, I don't know that it's more frequently now guys walk away, but I know that guys are more cognizant of, of it now. We have more information about some of the injuries that they have incurred and what the long-term deleterious effects can be. And in a lot of cases, they've got a, a pretty good uh, wallet to walk away with. Yeah, and Andrew Luck's got a tremendous brain to protect uh, as a Stanford grad, and then Gronkowski ends up in the WWE, so there is life after football. Uh, Baldy, question number three. In light of the likelihood of the NFL offseason programs, obviously they're going to be severely interrupted. We talked about it with Peter King. Is it better from a player's and coach's perspective uh, to, to be able to kind of you know, not having the offseason program, but to be able to still have those four preseason games this year, does that help them more? Or would it have been better for them to have the two preseason games this year with the new CBA? That's not going to happen, but uh, would it be better to have more practices or is it better to have the extra games this year and how it helps players try and impress on tape? Uh, well, if I'm a young player, uh, I mean, it really helps me. I always thought the preseason games, I was a free agent. I wasn't drafted. The preseason games were really valuable to me. Um, I start. I, I went in the first quarter of the second preseason game with the starting unit in Dallas, and that helped me out a great deal, showing that I could play with the starters. Uh, I think it's, it's going to be really valuable for the young players, and I think in some cases, some of the newer players. I mean, I do think it's going to be important for Tom Brady to throw to Mike Evans and Chris mm -hmm. Godwin, uh, and maybe preseason games could be a real good time for those guys to play, although I doubt you're going to see the big name players play in these games the way we haven't seen them before. I think they're going to have to try to get as much work done in practice, but I don't think they're going to put these guys at risk, no matter how big their names are in, in, in those names that have changed teams. Yeah, and put them in peril for games that don't matter. Question number four, uh, Baldy, we're all uh, abiding by social distancing, the measures and stay at home orders all over the country. So in light of that, what is a, a, a past NFL great game that Baldy would recommend football fans rewatch and enjoy? Maybe well, one from this past season and uh, an all-time game that we would love to watch while well, we have I mean, no sport. I mean, that's a great question, Jason. But, I, I mean, this year, I mean, somebody should go back and watch San Francisco at New Orleans. I mean, I did the game for national radio that day. That was – I remember leaving there that day going, man, if this is um, – if this is a prelude to the NFC championship game, then um, let's just bottle up and play it at the end of January. It was a great game. It had everything that you could want. It had great quarterback play. It had big plays. It had a, a photo finish, uh, all those kind of things. Um, you know, a walk-off field goal at the end to win it. So that was, that was a great game. But, you know, I, I think that if you go back in time, I think – um, New England, Indianapolis in the AFC championship game, New England in Indianapolis and Peyton Manning's comeback in the second half of that game 
was a great game. I think the New England comeback against the Falcons down 28-3 at halftime oh. was one of the great finishes. So, I mean, there is, there's no shortage of great games to go back and watch again and again and again. Yeah, and a few of those Chiefs games this year with lead change after lead change coming down the stretch as well uh, would be tremendous theater to watch as well. And plus you get to watch those great – watching Manning versus uh, Brady will never get old. Never get old. All right. Yeah, it's just tremendous theater. Uh, question number five, five questions for Baldy. The NFL and the sport uh, can be – it's been – sports have been a, a source of healing for our nation on different occasions throughout time, Baldy. Now, with all that – Everyone's going through right now when sports and the NFL does get back onto the field of play. What exactly is it going to mean to the great fans of, of sport and the great fans of the NFL who are suffering through this right now uh, and going through sports withdrawal on top of it? What's it going to mean to the fans and what's it going to mean to you? Well, I think that it's going to be a big part of the healing process that is probably going to take a great deal of time. I mean, whether we get back to work here pretty soon, people are going to be infected by this at rates that we've never seen in our lifetime. So I think that, you know, we, we've seen Joel Embiid donate $500,000 to, you know, to health uh, care and costs and people that are really struggling right now. I think you're going to see a great deal of NFL players step up. I think you'll see a lot of community activity um, when these players get back um, being civic minded. I think that's going to be great. But I think, you know, uh, getting back to enjoying games. I mean, the day that we're all able to congregate in a stadium together is going to be something that I think mm. is going to, I, I think, I, I remember, I mean, there's been some great days uh, in the stadiums where um, we, we all kind of came together. The day that Bin Laden, you know, was captured, I remember there was a Phillies game and people just started, you know, trying to chanting USA, USA. I mean, I, I can see something like that in a stadium where we're all kind of looking around at each other going, we got through this together. It's, it's almost going to be like the game is going to be secondary to just being in the stadium together and being at a tailgate together. Yeah, it's very well said. And, you know, it, it makes you appreciate the ability to congregate again. You know, it's almost weird, Baldy. You watch TV now and you see commercials or you see throwback games and you see full stadiums and it's got you longing for to be able to do that even more right now. When we can't, uh, you know, be, we have to be socially distanced and stay at home order. So you're absolutely right. It's going to be, it's going to be a tremendous feeling once we can put this all in the rearview mirror. And hopefully, everybody out there listening is is doing the right things and and, yeah. and, and heeding the doing advice of the scientists. Yeah, uh, I know you are, Baldy. I know they had to kick you out of NFL films, and I know you don't like being out of NFL films for any uh, period of time. But another great episode of Baldy's breakdowns, and uh, we'll crank another one up next week. Look forward to it, Jason. Hopefully we have, you know, some really good news to talk about and look forward to next week. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll join you next time on Baldi's Breakdowns.